Today's reading is taken from Jonah, chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down in a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and ease his discomfort. And Jonah, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is God's word. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for reading. Let me add my welcome uh, to you. My name is Matt, Matt Fuller. If we've not met, it'd be lovely to do so uh, afterwards. Here we are in Jonah, Jonah chapter 4, if you're joining us. We've spent the last few weeks uh, in this book of Jonah, and here is the strange ending in many, many ways to this uh, unconventional prophet amongst the 12. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Father, here is a strange story of the lesson you had to teach Jonah. We pray we'd understand it. And more than that, we would take on board how broad and wonderful your mercy is for ourselves and for others, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. One or two may have heard the story of Henry Garrick. He was uh, an army chaplain in U.S. forces in the 1940s. Uh, He ministered to uh, wounded troops after uh, the landings uh, at D-Day. He himself had never suffered a severe injury, although his eldest son, who was fighting, uh, did uh, life-shattering injuries, was never able uh, to walk again. His body was ripped apart by a grenade. Uh, But the thing that had the biggest impact upon Henry Garrick was he went to Dachau concentration camp when it was liberated uh, and saw the full horrors of what had taken place uh, under that Nazi regime. In November 1945, his commanding officer asked him, would you take on Henry the most unpopular job in the army? That is, would you go and be chaplain to the 15 highest ranking Nazis who were on trial at Nuremberg? Some of those names are familiar, I guess. Uh, uh, Henrik Goering, uh, von Ribbentrop, the foreign minister. Would you go and do that? He said no. The CO was persistent. He went. He said upon meeting some of these men, I was terribly frightened 
not physically, but frightened by the absolute depths of evil in these men. They had committed crimes unthinkable to me. But slowly, over the weeks and months, the men at Nuremberg became to me just lost souls that I was asked to help. Uh, of those 15 senior Nazis, uh, uh, most of them were initially entirely resistant to even conversing with Henry. But after a while, 13 out of 15 of them used to go to the chapel services. He ran every week. And he clearly made an impression upon them in uh, June of 1946, not long before their deaths. He was due to return to the US. It was time for him to return to his family. But the prisoners wrote to his wife, imploring Please, will you allow your husband to stay with us for a few more months? We need him. So he did, and his wife agreed. According to Henry's account, before their deaths on the 16th of October 1946, eight of them had, credibly to his his mind, credibly professed faith in Jesus Christ. Eight out of the 15. Now this was surprising and caused somewhat of a stir back home. He didn't read them all, but in his memoirs he says, I had a box worthy of filling a four-drawer filing cabinet of letters of hatred for me, all from all over the US calling me Nazi lover, Jew hater, betrayer, demanding that I be killed along with the Nazi criminals. But I guess here's the question. How would you have felt in 1945 if you were the sole survivor in your family and all other members of your family had been exterminated in a death camp? How would you feel? How how do you reconcile a, a mercy that can come upon those eight men with justice for them? And clearly many in the US thought that impossible. And here's the question of the whole letter of Jonah, but it comes out acutely in chapter 4. How do you respond to God's mercy? And in particular, how do you feel for God's mercy upon those who are despicable and unpleasant, and you, you fear them and you hate them? And that's the situation here, because if you've been with us, Jonah had been asked to go and preach against Nineveh. Now, Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, or the major city, rather, not the capital. But this is a brutal regime. Uh, And as I said, I don't know if anyone's bothered, but you can go to the British Museum, room six to nine of the British Museum, just stuffed full of Assyrian artifacts uh, and their self-description as the most brutal enemy you'll ever face. We will cut off your noses, we will cut off your ears and let you bleed to death. Had no problem with immolating, burning to death their, uh, their captives. This is a despicable regime, and they've been brutal in how they treated other nations. Go to them, Jonah. I don't want to go to them. Go to them and preach. Oh, now you've forgiven them, Lord. What am I meant to make of that? We saw this last time Jonah preaches. Uh, The Ninevites repent. They say, we're sorry. And so chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw what they did, that is their repentance, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. And did not bring upon them the destruction he'd threatened. 
And so do you feel the conflict within Jonah? I don't want you to have mercy upon these people. They're despicable. But you have. So for you and for me, how do you feel about God's mercy? When it comes upon those you don't like or are scared of. If we look at it this way, uh, here's the lesson um, for uh, Jonah in chapter 4. Jonah wanted justice for Nineveh, not mercy, verses 1 to 4. But Jonah wanted mercy for himself, not justice, the complete other way round. And that's what God shows him in verses 5 to 9. And then the whole book ends with a question, what concerns you? So we see the contrast. Verses 1 to 4, Jonah wanted justice for Nineveh, not mercy. By contrast, Jonah wanted mercy for himself, not justice, 5 to 9. And then what about you? Is where it ends. First then, uh, Jonah wanted justice for Nineveh and not mercy. Verses 1 to 4. To Jonah, this seemed very wrong, God's relentance. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? I know what you're like, Lord, says Jonah. You show mercy. That's kind of what you do. But I don't want mercy. I want justice for these people. And where's that? What's happened to that? And in one sense, that's an entirely reasonable question for him to ask. The tone of it may be inappropriate. But God has revealed himself as one who, who gives justice. It's a little comparison. I don't know if we can get it up. Exodus 34. There it is on the left. Here's how God revealed himself. Moses says, tell, us, tell me who you are, Lord. Tell me what you're like. And the Lord says, here is my self-description. Gets repeated relentlessly in, in the Old Testament. I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. God reveals himself as both. Oh, I have mercy, but I don't leave the guilty unpunished. And the question that comes out of Exodus from much of the Old Testament is, how do you put those two together? How can you have mercy upon people and not leave the guilty unpunished? And so here, here in in, in Jonah chapter 4, or or just on the right-hand side, Jonah says, I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding love, a God who relents from sending calamity. But where's your punishment upon the guilty? What's happened to that bit? That's the bit I want right now. Because these are the worst of people. And where's that gone? And how's that right? He asks. And that's not an unreasonable question. And so he says, well, do you know what, Lord, verse 3, I'd rather die than live in a world where my enemies get forgiven by you. Now again, for us out here, there's probably no one we hate or fear this much. And so it feels a long way distant. If you're a Christian in, well, still suffering under the, 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 the dying of the night of ISIS in Syria or Iraq, their last violent outbursts, 
against Christian populations there. You might feel this way. I don't want, I don't want them to be forgiven. You might pray, Lord, judge them. Justice, please. And that is an entirely reasonable thing to pray in that scenario. And yet, the prayer for the wicked to be punished and the prayer for them to be converted to become followers of Jesus Christ, those two prayers are very close. Let me say that again. The prayer for the wicked to be punished and the prayer for their conversion are very close. And to go back to Henry Garrick then, if you said to the Lord, I don't want those Nazis to be forgiven. They've committed abominable crimes, the worst of crimes. We've created a new, a new thing on the statute book. We're calling it genocide and a crime against humanity. We've not known in anything this wicked before. I don't want that man, von Ribbentrop, to be forgiven. I want him punished. The Lord could say, I have allowed his punishment to fall upon my son, Jesus Christ, so that mercy may fall upon him. Christ was struck, smitten, broken, so that this Nazi criminal would not be and nor were you. See, we know this. The Bible is very clear. There are two great days of God's justice and punishment in history. One is the last day of the world where all of us stand before Jesus Christ and all of us have to give an account for our lives. And the, and the record upon all of us is failure to love God as we should. And there's a day of punishment then. But there's God's other day of punishment 2,000 years ago upon the cross. When God says, I allow my justice not to fall upon you, but to fall upon my son. And all of us have a choice. Whether we take justice ourselves or allow justice to fall upon Christ, that's a choice we all make. All of us choose one of those days. But of course it's very natural for us to say, but, 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 but ah, what about this, these people? A whole nation? Were, were they all sincere? Did they just say these words and it covers over you know, decades of crimes and brutality? Well, you trust that the Lord knows hearts and you trust that he does right. And you trust that he knows which individuals are sincere and which is just nonsense and, and superficial words. You trust him in that. But now is the period in which God is offering mercy. You let Jesus Christ take punishment for you or one day you take it yourself. But God does not leave the guilty to go unpunished. Jonah wanted justice for Nineveh, not mercy. But the two meet upon the cross. There is both justice and mercy there if you embrace it for yourself. But that's Nineveh. He wanted justice, not mercy. But secondly then, verses 5 to 9, for himself, while Jonah wanted mercy for himself, not justice. Very different. Uh, verse 5, Jonah doesn't respond to the Lord. He just runs away again, just as he did in chapter 1, verse 3. So chapter 4, verse 5, here we are. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Well, that's very eccentric, seems a bit odd to do. Uh, maybe he's wondering, look, well, I've given the Lord an ultimatum in, uh, in verse 4. Either I die or Nineveh dies. Well, let's see which happens. Let's, let's see which way it goes. 
but the Lord is kind. And so verse 6, the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to provide, excuse me, to give shade for his head and ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy with the plant. The Lord provided again. If you were here, uh, chapter 2, or at the end of chapter 1, verse 17, when uh, Jonah was about to die, chapter 1, verse 17, the Lord provided a huge fish. Here again, in chapter 4, verse 6, the Lord provides a plant. Why? Well, it's very kind, to ease Jonah's discomfort. Uh, Just run with me, stick stick with me here. It's literally evil. So see how this goes in in the book of Jonah. Stick with me. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 10 God saw what they did and how the Ninevites turned from their evil. Chapter 4, verse 1, Jonah, to this seemed Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became literally evil, translated here, angry. And here in chapter 4, verse 6, God provided this plant to ease Jonah's evil, translated here, discomfort. So the point is being made, I don't know why they don't translate it the same way all the way through, The Ninevites were evil. Uh, Jonah, his anger is evil. His discomfort here, that's not a good word. It's not this thing, oh, I'm getting, oh, it's a bit, oh, I haven't got enough suntan lotion on. Oh, I'm getting a bit burned. He's fuming. He's angry. That's the point here. So, yeah, in one sense, this, this plant eases Jonah's physical misery. But also the point is the Lord is saying, look, let me, you are bitter internally. Let me just give you something that'll help. It'll help you physically. But it's your internal bitterness, your evil, that I need to address. And so he gets a little plant, and now he's in the shade. And so, verse 6, Jonah's very happy about the plant. Well, that's good. Chapter 4, verse 1, I'm very angry that you showed mercy to Nineveh. Chapter 4, verse 6, I'm very happy that you've been kind to me. There's the contrast. I like having mercy. I like the Lord being kind to me when I don't deserve it. But those others, I don't want it for them. Ah. So verses 7 and 8, then the Lord provides two more things. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than live. A severe wind that bites or cuts him. So here is the Lord's judgment upon bitter Jonah. And says, do you know what? I prefer to die rather than have mercy withdrawn. I want justice for them, Ninevites, not mercy. And I want mercy for me, not fairness, not justice at that point. It's hypocrisy. It's a double standard. If Jonah wants God to deal in strict justice with Nineveh, he must expect strict justice himself. And so the Lord drives this home, Jonah's pettiness. Do you see the contrast in uh, uh, verses 10 and 11? Again, I may scribble them down. Here's the little contrast you get in verses uh, 10 and 11. So uh, here's God's point. Jonah, so you've been concerned about a plant, though you didn't tend it, nor made it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. So that's a pretty superficial thing, and you're obsessing about that. I, the Lord, am more concerned about a city where there are 120,000 who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. You're concerned about a plant that's come and gone. I care about people, 120,000 of them. You are a little bit petty, Jonah. 
Do you understand why you're upset about a plant? But my desire, I care about people. I want to have mercy upon this city. So this whole episode with the plant and the, then it coming and going, God's point to Jonah is, Jonah, do, do you understand how I'm treating you with kindness, though you don't deserve it? That is my character, and that's what I've shown Nineveh, kindness, though they don't deserve it. And that's for you and for me. Do we understand how we've been treated by God? Not that we deserve mercy. We deserve justice. But he has shown mercy to us in Jesus Christ. But one mark that we've understood that is that we'll relate to others with mercy rather than always pursuing justice. Let me give you a strong example. Uh, I preached through Jonah in, in January in the evening congregation and decided I'd do it here as well. Uh, I thought for, for all of our benefit. Uh, the, uh, when we came to Jonah chapter 4, there was a couple visiting from overseas and um, go up to them afterwards, hello, hello, don't know you, no. Uh, end up in conversation and um, very sweet, young couple in their 20s. Uh, and then after a while, she started crying uh, it was sort of out of nowhere, uh, and then he started crying, and I felt a bit awkward, um, because I wasn't aware of saying how he said anything, and she said, I'm so sorry, let me explain. Ten years ago, before we were married, I was raped, and I'm pretty confident I know who did it, but could never prove it, and so he's never been charged. And he still lives in the same town as where I live. And for the last decade, I have feared him and hated him. And that has had a massive impact upon our marriage and how we relate to one another. And yet for some reason today, I don't don't know why, reading, hearing Jonah chapter 4, I'm going to go home and write to him and say, I forgive you. And it's taken 10 years and Jonah 4 has just cracked something within me. But I see God has been merciful to me when I don't deserve it. And I think he gives me the strength to do that to this attacker. Oh. The Lord God has shown us mercy when we don't deserve it. Now, not many of us would have someone we want to forgive who has committed anything like that against us. But there is an extraordinary strength here. And if you understand that actually the Lord should show you justice, but has managed to show mercy in his son Jesus Christ that must affect how we relate to others and so the book ends with this question what concerns you
what concerns you? Verse 11. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? And you turn the page and... Oh, it's Micah. What's he doing there? What does Jodah do? What does Jodah do in response to this? You just sort of... What? That's not an ending. That's a rubbish ending. You'd want your money back at the cinema. You go, huh? What? But the point is, what are you going to do with it? That's how it's left. Jonah, what are you going to do now? And for us as, as readers of this book, what do you make of this now? Jonah was just self-absorbed and concerned with himself. What about you? What are you going to do? Look, I don't suppose many of us have a hatred and fear of people like Jonah did of the Ninevites or as many did of the Nazis in the 40s. But here's the awkward question for me. How can you care so much about yourself and your own comfort and so little about other people who don't know about the mercy of God in Jesus Christ? Two things I would have thought that should concern us. Uh, One is this, uh, concern for a lost city. I think if we understand Jonah, that we we simply cannot pass through London on our career or on a journey or on a holiday even. Uh, But certainly if we're living here, we can't use this city just as a stepping stone on our way to what happens next. To the next world city, to, to the home counties, whatever it may be. In God's wisdom, he has placed you and me here. For a time. For a season. Here is where some of us became Christians in this city, even in this church. Praise God. But here is where he has placed us to speak of his mercy to a city. You've got to have concern for a lost city. But secondly, I think acutely from Jonah, here is a concern for, how do we put it? The scary. Jonah was scared of the Ninevites. And I guess some of us find, even in London, the, the different ethnic groups a little bit scary. Did you know there are more people in London who speak not a word of English than the entire population of Newcastle? There is a very easy joke there. (laughs) About the English spoken in Newcastle. It's a numerical point, not one about accents. But um, something like 250,000 live in Newcastle and more than that in London don't speak a word of English. Now, you those of us who live here know sometimes it's a little unsettling how different ethnic groups don't buy into our culture. It's a little unsettling, a, a, a little scary might make us feel that way. But I guess Jonah would say to us, no, no, look, don't be scared of groups like this. That's an opportunity. The people groups from all over the world have come to London and they've got a time or a season where they're more open to hearing of Jesus Christ than they've ever been. Delightful. Just our our Friday nights, the International Cafe. Three people become Christians in the last month. That's fantastic from different parts of the world. Wouldn't it be great to fund, I'm talking to the church family really here now, to, to fund more workers like Jimmy and Gina Aikenhead to specialize in going to, well, particularly Somali Muslims who are far more likely to hear of Christ in London than they are in their own country. Or someone to work with Farsi-speaking Iranians. 100,000 in London? 
But I guess Jonah would say to us, it cannot be right that we're happy to enjoy the grace and mercy of God for ourselves, but ignore the plight of those who don't know their right hand from their left hand. What concerns you, Jonah, Matt Fuller, Christchurch Mayfair? What concerns you? Comfort? Ease? What a nice little sun lounger? Sun canopy? Chance to be a fat thing in the UK. You're all right. What concerns you? Let me finish with this. Here was a nice story uh, I read back just before Christmas. Uh, December the, was uh, the 75th anniversary then of Pearl Harbor, uh, and all sorts of things in the press about that, a different sort of war story. Uh, one thing I read was the account of Jacob de Chazer. He was uh, a U.S. pilot. He saw many of his colleagues killed on the 7th of December, 1941, uh, in that attack upon Pearl Harbor. In, uh, six months later, in 1942, he was shot down over Japanese-occupied territory and was in a prisoner of war camp for three years and was tortured during that time. And, you know, his own words, learned to hate his captors and their brutality. But he was lent a Bible, which he read during his time in that prisoner of war camp. And he said, in his own words, I realized that these people, my captors, did not know anything about my Savior. And that if Christ is not in the heart of a man... It's entirely natural to be cruel. In other words, my captors, they didn't know their right hand from their left hand. And so after the war, he went back to Japan as a missionary. He's a famous little pamphlet tract that went all over the place. was uh, called From Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor to Calvary just focused on those words of Jesus upon the cross. Father, forgive them. Jacob just said, for him, those words were utterly transforming. You could forgive that injustice against you, Jesus? Oh, I can forgive the wrongs done to me. And I'm desperate that a people who have no understanding of how they're living, they don't know their right hand from their left hand, they get to hear of your mercy too. No longer do I want just justice. I want mercy. I want the cross of Jesus Christ where mercy and justice meet so that mercy can go to these people even though they're undeserving because that's me too. What concerns you? Well, for God, it's that people know his mercy and that justice fell upon Jesus Christ. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father, certainly I don't want to be too critical of Jonah here. Certainly I recognise within my own heart the capacity to look only to my own comfort and regard uh, and desperate for justice for wrongs done to me. And I'm able to overlook how I treat other people and realise that, well, naturally, I don't deserve your mercy. Father, there'll be a few of us here this morning who have known grievous injustice 
and horrible crimes committed against them. And Father, pray that in your timing, in your kindness, would it not be uh, 10 years or more before they're brought to the point where they're able to, to forgive? But Father, please, that's a big prayer to ask. But Father, for the bulk of us, for the bulk of us, would we have your heart and not that of your prophet Jonah? Would our concern be to show mercy upon those, even those who have wronged us, to long for those in the city around us to know of mercy in Jesus Christ? Would we not look to our own interests and comfort? Would we look out at a city that doesn't know its right hand from its left and long to speak of your mercy? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.